Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And welcome back to Mindset Monday. Today we have a very special treat for all of our watchers. We have the great Nick Perler with us. Nick, thanks for joining us. You called me the great. My dog's name is Titus the Great. So <laughs> That's it. anyway, hey, it's good to be here. I'm a big fan of you guys. I remember when you started years ago, we chatted a few times and I was like, wrestling world needs something like this. So I'm a big fan of what you guys are offering. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of our, our campers and athletes have joined in with you guys. And um, it's great to see you're doing a great thing. Thank you. You too. It's always motivating watching your videos and always love hearing your opinion about things. So thanks excited to have you on the show. So let's let's take it from the top. We were talking about this a moment ago. Uh, myself and a lot of wrestlers are interested. Where do you start wrestlers to train? You have a wealth of knowledge and experience. You know, based on your expert opinion, what would you have a kid do when he when he just starts? Or at what age should they start playing sports? When do they get into wrestling? Take it from the top. Yeah, so... <sighs> I mean, my grandson, every Thursday I spend with him, he just turned three. We do like a little tumbling gymnastics thing, right? So uh, it's very cool. So I, I think the earlier, the better, you know, um, as far as getting your kids involved in activities and things. And, and obviously he's learning to, to take kind of the lead of another adult, sit in line, wait his turn. All these things are very important too, right? But um, as far as when to start wrestling, um, I think if you start him younger, like, you know, four or five, I would just avoid tournaments. I really think that from a tournament setting, you're probably better off at seven. I, we have a handful of six-year-olds and a, quite a few seven-year-olds who come to our academy, um, which is probably 50% high school, and then the other 50% is middle school youth. 
And our youth kids, a lot of them don't train year round. If they do, they come to maybe just one, two hour practice a week. But I've noticed a big difference maturity wise between a six and a seven year old. So, you know, I'd say I wouldn't start the tournament. So starting wrestling as young as you can. I mean, we have a little wrestling mat in my basement and my grandson comes over and he wants to come and wrestle. So, you know, just rolling around. And I think I think the earlier, the better. But I would just avoid the tournament side of it until they have a year of experience maybe more um and you know they have a season of live wrestling maybe they're doing practices twice a week in a peewee room and they've been rolling around since they were five they've done an organized practice as six years old still doing other sports in the summer and things obviously and then as a seven-year-old getting them into a handful of tournaments i think is a good thing I don't necessarily think every single weekend, you know, we want to be able to, I tell my parents this too, of our athletes, the NCAA wrestling has changed. Some of these guys have like 18 matches going to NCAA tournament. Their season's seven months long, right? There's something called resting your nervous system. We're throwing these little kids. Some of you parents are every weekend into these big tournaments. And I'm like, no, he needs a couple weekends to sleep in and, and, you know, be a kid. And so I, I, I would, more so than just having the skill level to compete. Um, you know, I would say get them a year of experience before you enter them into the tournaments, make sure they have a lot of live wrestling, tons of live wrestling, so they can develop the feel and the awareness. And uh, when you do enter them into tournaments, maybe as a seven-year-old, um, you know, let's not overdo it. Maybe go to a couple of tournaments a month. And if you wrestle two weekends back-to-back, -back, that's cool. Take a weekend off, make it fun. But, um, you know, at the youth level and high school, we should do probably a little bit more like what the college coaches have been doing over the past decade and and not throwing them into the fire every weekend because, um, you know, by the end of season, I've done it and you probably have too. back in our day, my day in the 90s. I mean, it was like army boot camp every practice. And I mean, we're physically and emotionally just done by the end of season and we're mentally tough guys and I'm, we're done. So I think the college coaches have done a much smarter job of this. And I think we need to think about that too. When we're, we're talking about the youth level. And you said you started doing gymnastics. They play all different sports. Hmm. When they start wrestling, what are the first things they should be learning? Like assuming a kid's first time on the mat and now you're going to give them some wrestling instruction. Is it stance in motion right away? Is it penetration step? What moves should they learn? What kind of sequence would you move in and why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it depends on. So if you have a first year wrestler who's six or seven and then you have a first year wrestler who's 14, there's a big difference. But, um, uh, you know, we pretty much avoid now head outside attack, double leg only. We don't like going to any kind of a high crotch, no fireman's carry, no near arm far leg, no low single leg, no ankle pick, none of that. Just a basic double leg and, you know, like a Jordan Burroughs double, which is what we call it now. Sweep single leg to maybe a quick change off snake and spin. That's probably the only leg attack I would do head outside double, head in the chest double, single leg with a mid-level finish and a low-level finish. That's it. And uh, from top, just wrestling from across wrist, maybe an inside cradle, half Nelson, bottom, we would just do knee slide stand up, you know, punch the sky stand up, maybe tripod stand up. And that's all I would do. I would probably just stick with six or seven techniques and just drill the tar out of those. And what I did when my son was little and I've done because, you know, um, 
I kind of volunteered for a whole season as a youth coach. Uh, we had four to six year olds. And I did this because, you know, we have our online uh, academy, our video series and stuff. Um, and when I put that out in 2005, I wanted to be a, a coach. So I coached a youth team. I ran one practice a week for them and uh, it was very helpful, you know? And so what I had learned to do, which, which I still give uh, dads and parents and coaches advice now is, so let's say they're just drilling like, you know, a down block, you know, they're sprawling to a front headlock and hitting a goal behind. That's another technique from a front headlock, maybe a snake too, but um, hit, hit five. Okay, good. Partner hits five. Okay. Let's go five more partner goes five more. Okay. Now let's live wrestle for three minutes. Okay. Let's go five more, five more wrestle for three minutes. So you don't save live wrestling for the end. You do a lot of live wrestling during the one hour and 15 minute practice. And you're going to really have a much better practice if you do it that way. But from a technique standpoint, everything that we do is based on the common positions because we think about the 95-5 rule. 95% of your points come from 5% of the wrestling. Those are around the common positions. So let's say um, I, I we're wrestling and you stand up and I'm behind you. I have to return you to the mat. That's going to happen about four times a match. And I've counted all of this stuff out years ago. And um, Ear to ear collar tie, especially high school and kids wrestling, maybe not always ear to ear, but they're going to collar tie a lot, about eight times a match, 50 varsity matches, 400 times this year, plus practice. If you wrestle year round, 7,000 times this year. So we have five ways to score from a collar tie, uh, two ear to three ear to ear, two forehead to forehead. Um, why is that? Because it's a common position. So um, from a youth level, when you're starting to look at six-year-olds and seven and eight-year-old beginners, you still want to use that common position sort of framework. But obviously, you know, we're not going to elbow pass, hit a drive single leg, run the pipe to a quick change off at that level. Uh, we're not even going to worry about an elbow pass, but we might hit a collar jerk as a, as a little peewee wrestler the most easy basic one um, because their opponents are going to grab their head with the collar tie. So, um, you know, you, you kind of look at the positions that they're in all the time and you say, we pretty much say, what's the best two to three ways to score from these common positions. And then at a more advanced level, we start to have to worry about the counters to counters, right? So we kind of prioritize everything. So at a very basic beginner level, you have a wrist trap, a go behind, and a snake. Three ways to score, but like at our advanced academy, which is called the uh, Perler Wrestling Academy World Class Wrestler Program. I stole that name from the Army World Class Athlete Program. And we just had 26 of our wrestlers the past year and a half go Division One, and 25 came from that room. So it's very good. But so in there, we have 11 ways to score from a front headlock. But a couple of those are counters to counters when their opponent gets to their feet, circling out of a front headlock. They're fighting the chin hand. So it's, but a wrist trap, a go behind and a snake is on their practice plan too. So you started saying, what's the common positions? What's the best two to three ways to score from those? And now we start to kind of compartmentalize our techniques into positions. And then we sort of prioritize based upon skill level and needs. So, you know, if I hit a high crotch, you're not going to sit the corner on me in, in the, the high school freshman tournament probably because those kids are probably making varsity. So do we need to really worry about how to counter? Well, we call it a shoulder slip. Everyone else calls it sit the corner. We've got two ways to counter that, but we don't drill those in um, you know, our phase one 
uh, program, but our phase two and phase three, we do. So um, that's kind of how we do it. But I think just talking about this, your listeners can kind of sort of say, oh yeah, we do have about, you know, three to five front headlocks a match. What are the best ways to score from there? Oh yeah, wait, he's seven. We don't really need to hit a shuck. Okay, let's scratch that off, coach. That was silly. We shouldn't even be talking about that. How about a snake? Oh yeah, how about a go, how about a go behind? How about a wrist trap? Okay, let's just stick with those. And then you can say, man, I can come up with two or three more that could really be useful. Don't do it because that's called opportunity cost, right? Time spent drilling six ways to score from a front headlock is taking time away from these three very most vital. So let's under teach over drill. And that's kind of our phrase that we've been using for years. So don't you, it's called chasing the idea fairy sometimes, right? We don't want to chase these. Let's just stick right here. So you got to be disciplined as a coach because it's very difficult sometimes, especially at the youth level when you have six or eight wrestling dads who are all head coach and they're all wanting to weigh in and it just makes that a big mess. So common positions and really come up with just the best two or three ways and just do those. And you're going to find out these kids are starting to have success because they're actually starting, we're limiting their choices. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of times we look at it from a mental point of view. It's like kids, if they're thinking about so many different moves, they're not, they, there's no clarity, right? So we break that into our clarity series. How do you, when you look at those basic positions, are you looking at most common positions, neutral and neutral, and then most compositions top bottom? Yeah. Yeah. And um, also from a front headlock or, you know, like there's ways to counter how to kick out of a single leg. And I just talked with Alex Clemson a few minutes ago. He's at Maryland, right? And he actually trained with us when he was he was a, a high school guy. So he he's just an awesome guy. I'm a big fan of Alex's and, and what they're doing at Maryland. But um, I guarantee you at their practices, they're learning to anticipate the kick out, how to stop it, how to climb the body, right? We're not going to do that at the high school level. So um to answer your question, um, common positions for where we're at is kind of what we're doing. So I'm not going to say that, well, I would say this. If I have, like my me and my nephew, my nephew lives with me now. He's going to go to Fargo. Very good. One as a uh, sophomore, was a runner-up as a freshman. And um, so we might individually work those things. So if you're a coach who has like a really good team, like, you know, hardcore team, they wrestle a lot year round. And I mean, you know, there's a difference. If you're in a small town in Idaho. You may barely have a full lineup. Most of those kids maybe didn't start wrestling until they were freshmen. You got them off the football field. You're going to coach those kids differently than obviously Blair Academy, uh, but you know, Kyle Kluskins, who's uh, uh, become a friend of mine, just a hard charging young man. He's a great coach in, um, in, in Wisconsin. So you have two high school coaches, one's in Idaho, one's in Wisconsin, but his Wisconsin team, I mean, they're hardcore, right? So he might actually do some of these other technical areas, but it's probably individually during live wrestling where he grabs a kid and says, hey, let's work over on this. So I think sometimes when we put something on our practice plan, we're only putting on our practice plan for two guys or, or you know, this girl and this guy who are really could utilize it. 
again, because we don't want to drill the whole team on, you know, how to anticipate in the two ways to counter a kick out of a single leg when they need to be head blocking, down blocking, thumb blocking, knee sliding on bottom, getting out of a front headlock, you know, learning how to counter across wrist so they don't get tilted. So um, I would say, don't forget that you might have like a little sticky note on your clipboard that is just for, um, you know, Kelly and John. So uh, that that's that's how I would handle that. But as far as common positions, I would just say, use your experience and your common sense as a varsity coach or a JV coach and or a youth coach with 12 to 14 year olds or youth coach with five to six year olds and just some common sense, a little bit of trial and error would be good. Yeah, that makes sense. And now when the kids are young, what are some things, maybe mistakes coaches make that they have kids do a little too early or kids really have a hard time grasping that maybe you want to push off a little bit until later? Is there anything like that? Yeah, I would say setups. Let's just get inside tie. You know, let's just keep our, let's keep one thumb in the armpit and let's keep our head a little bit lower than yours. And let's just get to those legs. We don't need to hit a post. We don't need to score from an underhook. Um, we just don't, you know, it is kind of funny because TJ Jaworski was a three-time NCAA champ for North Carolina and he came to Oklahoma state for a couple of years and he ended up transferring out and was a three-timer, right? And he and my brother battled for the spot uh, a couple of times, uh, but TJ was just one of the best college wrestlers I've ever, I've ever seen and a uh, great dude. And, um, I remember him one time, this was, he was still in college. Maybe I was in Texas. I can't remember, maybe did a clinic, but he was like, ah, we don't need all those setups. Just get inside tie and get to the legs. And I'm like, you know, he's going for his third title. So I do think, I do think that, that, that sometimes we maybe just don't really understand the instincts of scoring but I also think that as a youth wrestler or any beginner, a freshman beginner wrestler who's never wrestled before, doesn't need to be doing a, um, a chop post, right? Or fake head snap, single leg. They just need to get inside ties and make sure their head's a little lower than their opponents. So that's number one. Um, number two would be, I wouldn't hit any head outside leg attacks. So I think we already discussed that. It just causes a lot of issues. So I would not do that. Head outside leg attacks should be a double leg, no high crotch. Um, that's probably the main two I can think of. How about top bottom? Would you yeah, say really anything like learn maybe six moves or you said those six, seven moves that includes neutral and top bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there might, might, might be six or seven if you're a first year five or six year old, but the seven year old, we might add a few that would include those others, right? So you might actually um, add, add to the list a little bit like I would probably just do a basic far side cradle as as a little kid, but you get a seven year old who was in your room or rolling around with dad since he's five, wrestled as a six-year-old, practiced twice a week, maybe did some camps in the summer, plays other sports, really has a good handle on it. Seven years old, he might need a cross-face cradle, right? He might need a front headlock, you know, we call it a, um, a giant step cradle. He might be able to benefit from that. So your, your plan is here and we add a few things for his, his group now. So um, I don't think you can say, oh, only these seven 
or, you know, but I wouldn't have 12 or 15 things for the, for the PV wrestler, but, um, you know, two ways to score from a front headlock, two single leg finishes, one double leg, just wrestling from the inside. Definitely a lot of down blocking, right? We say feet wide, touch a mat. Don't let your opponent read your shirt. If I don't let you read my shirt, you can't get my legs. So just being bent over at the waist is absolutely will solve a lot of problems in kids wrestling. So a lot of down blocking, that's probably 10 times more important than shooting. Why? Because these little youth kids are going to shoot too much. And their parents are saying, shoot, shoot, shoot. And they're not in a good stance anyway. See, most of us are, are um, standing up in a stance and then we shoot down. Kind of like a, my brother calls it kamikaze. It's like an airplane crash. We need to be bent at the waist, squatting, and then kind of coming up like a check mark. So we kind of do it opposite sometimes. So down blocking and just kind of waiting sometimes for the bad shot that you know is going to happen, I think is very important. So a lot of down blocking as well would be good for kids. But as far as top is concerned, probably just all we do is a cross wrist and we don't go to like what we call the Eastern roll, but everyone else calls it a cross wrist tilt like Spencer Lee does. Um, actually when I was a, uh, a younger coach, Nick Lester, he got teched by, uh, uh, Jordan Oliver and Jordan turned everybody with this. And their coach used to be the coach at Clarion with my brother. And he's like, Oh, we call it an Eastern roll. You know, these guys in Eastern PA use it all the time. So we call it an Eastern roll, but so I wouldn't do that. We go behind the knee to the bicep and we call that a rolling tilt. So from top as a youth wrestler, I would just go cross wrist to a rolling tilt, half Nelson maybe a far side cradle if their opponent steps up three techniques that would be it and then rough and then roughly you know for most kids most of the time you'd inc you'd increase like that like each year you maybe add another three moves per position yeah like, probably depends on the yeah it depends on the kids so what happens is this right um so let's say i'm a high school coach and i've got eight seniors and i've got four juniors and there's a couple of juniors on jv and well guess what i'm like when season ends, I'm screwed, right? I'm starting over. So the practice plan that I have used the last two, maybe three years, now that I've lost eight seniors and I only have two juniors and everyone else is a freshman, sophomore, I got to like take my practice plan and I got to dummy it down a little bit, right? And so, um, uh, you know, that's a key concept of what we do is um, I learned this at Oklahoma State years ago was your wrestling should get a little bit smaller, not bigger. Um, you know, Jordan Burroughs doesn't wrestle ear to ear in a collar tie. He doesn't collar tie at all, really, but Kyle Schneider does. Um, so what happens in wrestling and, you know, our coaches at the time, Bruce Burnett was like, Nick, your problem is this. He's like, if they want to underhook, you'll overhook. If they want to overhook, you'll underhook. If they want to wrestle chest to chest, you'll do it. If you're wrestling John and he wants to wrestle from space, you'll do it. You'll do anything. And I was like, I like that. I want to be dangerous on the mat. Because me and my brother, that was our phrase with the cocky little kids. We used to love drilling. We'd go months without live wrestling. We had notes all over our, our little wrestling room basement. We just drilled. We love technique. I still do. But we kind of got too much, right? Um and Bruce was like, you, he's like, the problem is you're going to, you're going to get a guy from Bulgaria who underhooks for a living and you're going to get your ass beat. And I was like, that makes sense. So, you know, 
I think as coaches, our wrestling needs to get smaller. So we like to focus on the common positions, the best few ways to score from there. Okay, not to plug our online academy, but we do have basics, phase one, phase two, phase three. And so there's levels, you know, in gymnastics, actually my niece is a two-time all-around level 10 gymnast state champ in Missouri. She just signed with Arizona State like literally like 10 days ago. So in gymnastics, I was very um, intrigued by that sport when my daughter did it. That's like, they're organized, right? So like, you know, the level seven gymnastics routine on a balance beam is the same in Maryland as it is in Missouri. We're in wrestling. We have 18 year olds practicing half Nelsons and we have six year olds practicing how to score from a Russian two on one. It's completely stupid. And years ago in 99, when I quit my job in Texas and moved back to Missouri and decided to coach for a living, uh, I realized if my kids don't win, I don't have a job. So I had to get very organized and I started to really kind of like become psychotically obsessed with coaching and systematically making wrestling organized, right? So let's say there's 6,000 wrestling techniques, you know, uh, we like to look at the common positions, what's the best few ways to score, prioritize those based upon need and necessity, and also kind of compartmentalize those in order of importance for uh, the age level and skill level. Because there are some techniques that are common to, to, to wrestling in general. So like on our basics phase, a rolling till is a technique, but it's, but it's also can be used, uh, Kendall Cross, I used it in high school, it was my best turn, and I didn't use that in college because I thought it was a kid's move, and I saw Kendall when I was a redshirt turning kids with, and I was like, I'm going back to use my tilt again. All right. So I started using it again. Right. So sometimes we go through these sort of like evolutions a bit there. So like a six year old, the proper way for a six year old to catch a grounder is no different than the St. Louis Cardinals are catching a grounder today. Why? Baseball is baseball. How do you shoot a free throw? It's the same. You're going to shoot it the same way LeBron James does. I don't care if you're a girl uh, who's in eighth grade, who's a first year basketball player. This is how you do it. So there are techniques that are wrestling techniques that you have to know, right? But the problem is we get down in the weeds and we start practicing three, 13 different ways to score a Russian two-on-one. And I'm like, bro, your kid's right-handed and he has a, a, a left leg lead wrestling stance. You don't need to be worrying, <laughs> worrying about how to counter a Russian two-on-one. No one uses a Russian two-on-one anyway, because I mean, doesn't really work very well at folk style level, level, you know, for the most part. So, um, yeah, as far as being systematic, I think focusing on the common positions is a good place to start. And then just using some good old fashioned common sense, but understand that your practice plan that you use in your varsity room when you had eight seniors and the rest are juniors and next year you're going to have all the freshmen on the mat. Most of those are first, second, third year. You might have to narrow down your practice plan at least until December or January, right? And that's something else I think we make the mistake of. We're like, I've heard coaches say this. They're like, we haven't even had a chance to practice cradles yet. I'm like, dude, it's February. It's like, I know, but we didn't master this other stuff yet. Well, my plan is, and this is what I tell my coaches to do and what I did. My first year of a high school coach, I was a joke. My second year, I was pretty damn good, I believe. And then I just kind of like did a pretty good job, I think, my last two years as a high school coach. We just kind of puked out all the drills. I had like three pages of drills, and we spent the first two weeks of practice, long practices, 
two hour and 45 minute practice. We went 30 minutes alive. We did mini camps on Saturday and we got it all done. So then by the second week of season, we weren't learning anything new. It was already done. And people are like, well, we don't want to go to a single leg yet. Our double leg still looks crappy. I'm like, it's going to look crappy. It's going to look crappy in, at the state tournament probably because your kids are kind of new to wrestling. Let's get our practice plan all taught within the first two weeks of season. Then I say, okay, number one, man, collar tight, ear to ear, underhook, throw by. One minute, go. Time, number two, go. All right, ear to ear, collar tie, or collar tie. We're going to elbow pass to a drive, single leg, go. Number two, go. And you just a stopwatch. You got, you know, Gatorade stopwatch and a whistle. And man, you're just coaching wrestling, but you haven't shown a wrestling technique in weeks because we did this the first two weeks of season and our practice plan was all laid out and we're just doing this. That does not mean you might not get one team who's like a savage cross-face cradle team. You're like, okay, we're going to spend a lot of time this practice, you know, countering a cross-face cradle because we have to like shore up our wrestling for this specific team that we're going to face but as for the most part i think that we we don't progress until something is perfected big mistake and we move too slow these kids can move a thought they can learn a thousand times faster than you give them credit for let's go you know so there's my two cents the time is now to take your mindset to the next level with wrestling mindset Make sure you go to our website, WrestlingMindset.com, and sign up for your free trial session today. Don't wait any longer. You want the mental edge right now. When you sign up for the free trial session, you're also going to get a copy of our free ebook, Building the Predator Mindset. This book has helped thousands of people build confidence, relax under pressure, get motivated, and build mental toughness in wrestling, school, and life. Make sure you sign up for your free trial session today. No, I, I love it. And, and I like how you said about the um, making it, getting organized, taking a systematic approach, having the right progression, standardizing things. I'm, I'm always thinking about that in my, my perspective. Well, you guys do a wrestling mindset. You guys, you, that's what you guys do. You know, you're like the 80 20 rule. You have the common themes, right? And you see that in, you see that in, in marketing and sales of big companies. Sure. You see that in politics, right? Both parties stick with their, their themes and they beat, beat them home. You get tired of hearing about it, but they beat them home. Well, you know, the Iowa Hawkeyes, they beat their system and their style to death. They, 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 they beat at home. So, yeah, I, I think that, um, I think that simplification is the key and that's what's helped you guys to have success. And that's the reason you're working with companies and salesmen and, you know, uh, business leaders, not just athletes. And I think that um, we overdo it sometimes. And, you know, from a systematic standpoint, I wanted to go back to that. You know, in, in, in mathematics, you're not going to do geometry until you can do addition and subtraction, long division, multiplication. You shouldn't be doing a Russian two-on-one defense until you know how to hit a single leg to a quick changeoff, right? <clears throat> so wrestling should be like mathematics. It should be a building. Now, are you going to use addition and subtraction? Uh, Elon Musk is using addition and subtraction today at SpaceX. And you're going to hit a single quick change off as a six-year-old and you're going to hit it, uh, you know, as Jason Knopf. He hits one, he hits it too. 
because wrestling is wrestling at the end of the day, just like the six-year-old is going to catch a grounder the same way as the St. Louis Cardinals going to. So there are techniques there that we have to understand that are just part of it. That, um, and, and so, you know, just focus on those and your kids are going to win because guess what? These other guys, these other coaches, I mean, they're all over the map and they mean well that they need to settle down a little bit under teach over drill, I think is, is the phrase um, that you should live by. And it's funny because like Nate Carr used to come to Oklahoma state a lot and train with Kenny Monday when he cut down and I got to know Nate. I mean, one of the greatest human beings on planet earth, but I was at a tournament about four or five years ago and I bumped into him and he was like under teach over drill. I don't know where he saw, he saw some video of mine or something. He's like, that works. He was helping at Pinnacle back in the day in Ohio. And he's like, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I'm, this is a guy that was NCAA champ, Olympian, world medalist, Olympic bronze. And, and he's like, that's what we all need to do. And, and I think he said that, you know, as he started training at the Olympic Training Center, he started saying our wrestling got simple again. And sometimes um, we need to, we need to understand that we, we, we need to, and we need to come full circle and keep it simple, but we maybe not need to spend years out here anyway, because we're doing a disservice to the kids and we're not going to have any success as a coach. That makes sense. Now, who were some of your, um, I guess, some of your influences when you were putting together your system? Like we're talking about at a macro level, not, you know, having to give any kind of specific information yeah. at the meta level. Who, who were some of the, like, I, I could tell you who the people I was thinking of when I put together Wrestling Mindset. I took a little bit of this from here. I took this guy from there. That book, I used that. W what were you thinking? Who were, who were some of your influences? Yeah, well, I remember... Um, when I was done wrestling in Oklahoma State, I needed a break, right? I entered graduate school, got married, and I like hated wrestling for a couple of years. And then I kind of got back into coaching and then kind of fell in love with it again. And I just decided I'm gonna, I wanna be a tremendous coach. Like I run like maybe even be one of the best. And so I got the book, um, Coaching Wrestling Successfully by Dan Gable. And the only thing I remember from the book, um, I remember my brother, he's, you know, we caught a few fight a lot. So I was in Texas teaching and Tony was still training, right? He made the world team twice. So he was an awesome wrestler. So we were staying at Jack Spate's house. He was the head coach of OU back in the day. It was uh, Sean Charles was there, Kerry Colat, my brother. And there were a couple other guys. They assembled a training camp at OU for a week. And, and Tony's like, come on up and get your ass kicked. And so I, I drove up from Dallas, Texas and, and, and trained with those guys. And we were hanging out in Jack's um, living room and, and I was unpacking and my brother was making fun of me for having the book, you know, and, but I was like, dude, he, the main thing he talks about is you need to have a philosophy and your philosophy might be different than mine. As long as it's like core skill. I mean, the Penn state philosophy is a little bit different than Iowa, but they're still both very good. Um, but that was a book that, that really caused me to think about focusing and saying, what is my philosophy as a coach? And that, but I didn't use emotions and say, because some people go to watch a Terry Brand seminar and say, we're all going to wrestle like Terry Brands. We're like, dude, you know, the guy's five, four. He's literally one of the most strongest human beings on planet earth. Your kids can't wrestle like that. You can't say, oh, we're going to wrestle like Jordan Burles. You can't. So let's say wrestling is wrestling. So let's focus on being a great coach for most of mankind what athletes do i have walking in the room oh i got one that's shoots like jordan burles i got one that's as strong as 
and intense as Terry Brands or as strong as Kyle Schneider, cool. We might do some different things with them. But, you know, 99% of our athletes are all the same. What, what's my philosophy based around that? Because we want to churn out like an assembly line, like a factory, people who are very awesome and skilled and compete at the national level and win at the national level. And we can work the individual stuff with the individuals. But I would say that book was very, very good. Um, it was super simple. I really don't think he even shared a whole lot that was like eye opening. But I had been like psychotically obsessed with wrestling since I was 11. I, when I started, I think it was my 11th birthday was when I started. Um, but that was the takeaway. But as far as other influence, I just knew a wrestling dad that um, went to a lot of camps and, and he talked to me about teaching in steps and breaking your techniques down in steps. So that was something that I learned from a wrestling dad. They said, you should do this. I think it's better. And so uh, we kind of have developed our, um, our, our kind of way to teach wrestling. Uh, so, so that was very helpful as, as well, but that book by Dan Gable and the, the concept of having a philosophy. But like I said, your philosophy can't change based upon a YouTube video. It's got to be like, wrestling is wrestling. Is this a wrestling philosophy or am I steering emotionally? You know, I've had parents who are like, we need to throw more. And I'm like, why? My kid got thrown this weekend. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's like, I'm going to quit my business. I'm like, dude, you made a million dollars. I know, but I, I didn't make any money last month. I'm like, okay, well, let's not go buy some lawnmowers and start a lawnmowering business. You've had success here. Let's just dig deep and find out what's going wrong. And I'm sure you do that at Wrestling Mindset. You deal with the individual. We all have different personalities. You are probably going to, to help an athlete with their mental game and their mindset differently if they have some of us are deep thinkers some of us are worry warts some kids are laid back some people are super intense i mean you probably have systems in place that are based upon the psychology and the brain and the emotions and how it works and everything that you've learned and when you're accumulating all these fancy degrees that you have but then you have to deal with the individual kid too and, and, and wrestling is much the same way right it's like if i'm gonna if i'm gonna speak to kids as a whole, as a group, yeah. I got to speak a certain way because I know if I, if I speak and then of course, then people say, well, what about this? What about this? Can I tell myself that? Of course, if that's worked for you historically, that's exactly what I want you to do. I can't tell the whole room to do that because that yeah. could throw half the kids off. So ex exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's what I think too, from a technique standpoint uh, and, and a style. And the biggest mistake I think we make as coaches is we try to coach a style of wrestling and the colleges don't even do it anymore. Right. Um, you know, um, they teach the individual a lot. And so you might start seeing some like common themes and, and, and especially the messaging and communication of the athletes to the video camera, the coach, when he's being interviewed, and you can kind of tell that, and, and there's a phrase that says the athletes tend to adopt the personality of their coach. I think that's very true to a certain extent, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, they, they all have a philosophy in, in place. I remember Terry Brand, Tom Brands a few years ago was like, there's probably not a whole lot uh, of differences between the Iowa room and the John Smith room and the Kale Sanderson room. There's probably a lot more similarities than you think. And I was like, bingo, I would agree with that. I'm sure. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. The principles are going to be 
the same wherever they are, right? Yeah. So I guess when I think about the techniques themselves, did you did you look at it and say, okay, the 80-20 principle, Pareto's principle, it's like what's what 20% that's scoring 80% of the of the you know scores right there, basically. And then and then kind of look at it, well, what are the 20% of moves from those specific positions? Is that how you kind of broke it down mentally, conceptualized it? Like when you're thinking about how to teach techniques. Like at yeah. what age, what are kids score, what positions are they in? And then what are they like, like a collar tie? Perfect. Right. Yeah. People are always yeah. going to collar tie your head. So at, at like the age six or seven, what should they be doing from there at the age of 10? Is that how you were kind of looking at it? Yeah. So when I first started our academy, our kids trained with us because we're academy, not club. Right. So like club is me, me and my coach, we have the same 40 guys and girls and they train four days a week with us and we coach them on weekends. That's a club, right? Just like a team, right? But a club is like, you know, you join, there's a membership, right? I mean, you get it. And they have their facilities or whatever. Um, we're academy. All of our kids train and practice with their own teams. Now, we do have a kind of a smaller club kind of affiliation for our kids that need it. And that's actually growing. But so I really have only been coaching our kids back in the day, one day a week. That's it. One day a week, year round. And it wasn't until about 2003 or four or five that a lot of kids trained year round, just out of necessity, right? Um, so I'm like, I have very limited time. I got two hours, two and a half hours a week with our guys. I had to really get core skills, we call it. And then our kids started like doing great. And so we added locations and then some kids were coming two days a week and getting this amazing practice plan. So it probably, they were guinea pigs and I was experimenting, but I wasn't experimenting with their future or their career. Cause I had a, I wrestled Oklahoma state and I would train with John Smith twice a week, year round for like six years. And I had, I had great coaches and I was, you know, and, and I had great coaches growing up and a twin brother. I mean, so I kind of had a foundation of some ideas here, but um, so I, I had to get very sort of systematic because our kids only train with us once a week. And then they started coming twice a week and I added locations. Then like, okay, I can come three times a week. And then I added that was PWA, Perler Wrestling Academy. Then we had a Perler Wrestling Academy Elite. We go from a one-page drill plan to just over a three-page drill plan. And then our Perler Wrestling Academy WCWP, World Class Wrestler Program, has a six-and-a-half-page drill plan. And But everything that's on that drill plan is on our core skills. So we have core skills, elite, and world-class wrestler program. We don't have a beginner's academy. We do beginner's camps and clinics. But um, So I kind of started in the reverse where I was coaching really pretty, not high level. Some of them were, but very serious uh, middle school kids and a handful of youth and a handful of high school. And um, so when I formulated everything, it was very much like... Okay, single leg, high crotch, double leg. We added a low single leg because, I mean, that's a great way to score. And it's a level change drill. And um, fireman's carry, there's probably only five leg attacks. And we had, you know, front headlock, we're here all the time. So, you know, we had our, our main ways to score from there, uh, which back in the day, I think it was a wrist trap, go behind and a shuck. And now we've had added a knee tap with two finishes. Um, but everything was based upon not the 80-20 rule, but the 90-5-5 rule. When you see David Carr score from a front headlock, we're like, okay, let's do that. 
So that's really a good place to start. And everything that we do, we'll work at a college level or we wouldn't do it. Uh, maybe not in our beginners, our basics phase, which is basically a beginner's phase. I just took the name beginners off of it because people weren't utilizing it as a tool that they should. Because uh, there's kids wrestle seven, eight, nine years who don't know what's on some of that basics phase. But um, yeah, let's just let's, let's say the 95-5 rule. And let's get two ways to score from a collar tie, ear-to-ear -ear collar tie, and just hit those. And um, your kids are going to start winning. It's going to be like magic. And your practice plan is going to be about one page. That makes sense. And then from those common positions, would you say there's, I mean, I guess, have you broke it down that deep where that these are the most common ways people are finishing from those situations? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I didn't you can kind of eyeball it. You could, you have your experience. Yeah, you, you can kind of eyeball that too, but I will say that like, I'm kind of nutty. I don't have a lot of hobbies. Right. So like I had a, I used to watch wrestling every night and I, I would see like little finishes and what looks like a scramble or like luck. Okay, so Nick Saban sees a different, um, you know, the, um, what's the NFL championship? You know, the Super Bowl. Nick Saban sees a different Super Bowl game than I see. My wife sees a different one than I see too. She didn't know anything about football and I really know nothing here, so I'm not a good example. But so I see a different wrestling match when I watch the Olympics, and so do you, then maybe a high school coach who wrestled two years in high school, went to college for football, maybe went to the military. He doesn't see the same match I see. So I used to just take a piece of paper and I'd write like little tricks and techniques down. And, um, and I just stuffed them into a big yellow envelope. And this thing was like, after about a year, I dumped it all out. And I already had my core skills practice plan because my academy, and we were winning right off the bat. So I had this earmarked since I was a high school coach. So as a high school coach, we had daily drills. Okay, everybody walk in, look at the um, look at the at the wall. There's a piece of paper there. So it might be down block, go behind, might be single leg snake and spin, might be knee slide stand up with two ways to break the hands. So we had like five daily drills. We had like three daily drills. And so one day this piece of paper is up there and that's the first 30 minutes of practice. And I learned that from Harry Wong when I was like getting studying teaching and how to become a great teacher. And he was like, you know, most teachers, they walk into a classroom like, okay, settle down class, right? Maybe she gets distracted. She's in the hallway chatting with a teacher. She closes the door. It's freaking chaos. And she's like, okay, let me take attendance. Okay. You know, but he said there should be a bell ringer. So when the bell rings there should be an assignment on the chalkboard and it's worth like 10 points and you can trade two test grades for the bell ringer and so teachers in the hallway chatting so okay have a good class she walks in class is quiet she takes attendance and they're all looking at the bell ringer they're digging through their book the class got started by this assignment that was on the board that's very useful to them it's like a piece of gold they get to trade a test grade for this and she doesn't have to worry about the 15 minutes of trying to calm these kids down their emotions are psychotic if they're just throwing stuff and chatting and sitting on each other's desk so i took that concept into wrestling but i had a daily drill and a daily drill was 
double leg, single leg, snap down, stand up, cross face cradle, the basic turns, right? So again, you can eyeball it. You can even be a very limited coach. And you know that at the youth level, we should drill a half Nelson every day, you know, maybe a cross face cradle, um, single leg. So that, that, that's how I got my start. And that was also somebody going back to another question was like an inspiration. I believe it's Harry Wong. I'm, I, I know it is, but he like revolutionized how, how, how we're supposed to teach. I don't think anything much has changed in the past 150 years, actually. But that was very inspirational too. And all the coaches could use that as well. So you took your, you take your core skills that you have to have, because remember, a six-year-old is going to catch a grounder the same way a St. Louis Cardinal is. So let's catch a grounder what's you know you might not work double plays yet your high school team should work double plays maybe not your freshman high school team right so this catching a grounder and practicing double plays is part of your baseball practice plan for your varsity but maybe not for your freshman and you're sure as hell not going to practice double plays in probably normal peewee baseball so you know think about these analogies and i think it would be very helpful a bit a bell ringer in the harry wong approach i thought was tremendous and when i was trying to come up with a bell ringer i was like how are most of the points scored there it is right and so you would have that up right there and that's the that's you'd have that up on the board and say hey this is what we're doing today this is the drill of the day yeah, i mopped the mats because i wanted the, the room ready so I would mop the mats and they were ready. When the kids walked in, it was time, it was time to go. And uh, then I could spend some time doing paperwork if I had to chatting and just walking around, helping the kids. But um, I think that's very important if you could, if you could implement that Harry Wong strategy, but you know, again, 95, five, 95% of your points come from 5% of the wrestling, just focus there and you're going to be in the wheelhouse and you can expand from that with your advanced varsity kids but you're not going to expand from that very much with the uh beginner freshman or the peewee team with the kids of three less years of experience that makes sense mm -hmm. what else did we miss i'm sure quite a bit but anything else that you wanted to hit on yeah no um well i would i i would i would hit on you know Spinning, I tell our kids, you should spend about two hours a week listening, studying the sports psychology side of wrestling, your website, what you guys have written. Uh, you can just go to track wrestling and, and there's a playlist there. I believe, I believe it's just on a playlist. I've seen it many times. Uh, whether interviewing, you can listen to a Kale Sanderson interview. You can listen to, um, you know, there was an article in Win Magazine. I'm a big fan of Win Magazine. Also, um, Brian Van Clay is a good friend of friend of mine. He's a, his 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 magazine is tremendous. But there was like um, Kyle Dake talking to Yanni about what he needed to do to win a fourth title. That article is career changing, and some of you guys didn't read it, right? But I guarantee you, a mom running onto a wrestling mat and grabbing a little kid by the ankles who's pinning her son. That'll have 30 million views. You got time for that, but you don't have time to go to YouTube and listen to the Gene Zanetti mindset principles. Oh, I don't have time for that. So it's kind of like frustrating from a coaching standpoint. And then some people say, well, I don't have the money for it. I'm like, dude, you just spent $900 going to Georgia Nationals, which isn't even a Nationals. It's just a big open tournament. You went one and two, 
your kid wrestled seven minutes and 32 seconds and you had a smile on your face driving home because you got experience. That 900 bucks, you could have bought a home wrestling mat. You could hire a freaking high school kid to come over and train with your kid. You could have got the wrestling mindset course and studied it, you know, um, or, you know, maybe our online academy, maybe went to a camp. So I feel like your time and money You're, you probably just are not allocating it correctly. But I do think that not, not just for the athlete, the coaches, I tell my parents, we just had, had, had a guy, um, Christopher and his son, John, I won't mention his last name, but you know, his son's struggling a little bit. And he's kind of hot and cold or whatever. And, um, you know, I told the dad, I go, you need to you need, sometimes, I'm not saying he was doing this, but a lot of times the parents are the one ruining their kids' opportunities. I had a kid, he was actually a five-time Fargo finalist, won it a couple times, uh, wrestled in college, division one, it just didn't work out for various reasons. Dad still is a friend of mine. I'm like, Craig, I mean, dude, we're buddies, man. We just, we just had a couple of beers. I mean, you're a good dude, but dude, you're a freaking moron. Leave the kid alone, you know? Before the state freestyle finals, he grabs him by the arm. The kid's like literally taking his t-shirt off to go on the mat, pulling his singles out. Now remember, watch out for that single leg and be careful of this. And the kid loses. And his dad was furious. And Tim didn't, didn't even come near, near, near me or his dad. This was 18 years ago. I'm like, you did that. He's like, what? I'm like, you scared the shit out of him watch out for this. Beware of that. Okay. So parents, kids, you need to, you need to learn how the emotions work. Good thoughts, create good emotions, bad thoughts, create bad emotions, control your emotions, learn, learn the sports psychology side of wrestling, read the article that Kyle Dake gave when he was telling Yanni do this, don't do this. This is how you do these things. You have a good chance of winning. I mean, it's just like study. We study techniques so much. And this is my advice because of what I did. You know, I graduated from Oklahoma State in 94. And back then it was like, you know, high school practice, college practices were kind of random, like high school practices, a bunch of guys in a room drilling some practice plan moves, do technique. Now college wrestling is all individual, right? Individual training, individual specialized. That's the reason college wrestling is getting so good. And they have sports psychologists on stats. They have nutritionists. They have like strength coaches, um, individual weightlifting plans and uh, mobility workouts for the athletes based upon their needs. I mean, college sports is very cool nowadays, but um, you know, um, I remember one time Kenny Monday was like, Pearly, you know what your problem is? And I was like, what? He goes, you think wrestling's all about wrestling technique? And he just walked away. And I was so stupid. I was like, huh? Maybe I was a little bit mad. I don't know. But I worship Kenny. He's still, he, you know, he was Olympic champion. Just a great guy, too. And but I was too stupid. I should have tackled him by the ankles and said, no, you're not going to walk away. You tell me, what do you mean by that? Because I really want to be good, and I'm not winning as much as I would like, you know, um, that we didn't, you know, 
to, to read sports psychology, I mean, you almost had to go into the library at the college and get out microfiche and look under the freaking screen and all. Nowadays, you can just listen to YouTube. You can go to uh, the Wrestling Mindset website. Uh, you can just listen to the Kale Sanderson interviews or the Yanni or the Kyle Schneider interviews, and all these famous coaches and athletes who are winning at a very high level. Helen Marulis, listen to her, every interview she has. I mean, she won the Olympics and dude, I think she could have meddled in the guys Olympics. She's so good, right? You can learn from these people. So um, a lot of times it's not just your technique that is the issue. There's a good phrase that says, you know, technique won't fix the attitude problem. A lot of times it isn't the attitude of not wanting it bad enough, not being a hard enough worker. There's plenty of kids who want to win really bad. But this is getting in the way. Um, strength and conditioning is a big part of sports nowadays, that, and, it, and it really wasn't. But, you know, it's almost got to be a multifaceted approach. It can't just be about technique. And I think that's the big shift that I have seen over the past 15 years is that, you know, when you listen to these men and women getting interviewed or these coaches, um, you know, there's some common themes there about mindset. And, uh, you know, it's the same things that you guys preach nonstop. And I don't think we pay enough attention to it's like marinating a steak. You got to marinate your brain because your confidence is never fixed. Your confidence is always coming and going, right? And um, it's something that's got to be nurtured a couple of hours a week, just like Serena Williams, her backhand has to be nurtured. If she loses her backhand just by 1%, she's down to number 15 in the world from number one, right? And um, so I think we got to spend a lot of time on learning how the mind works and the parents do too, because, and the coaches, because sometimes the parents and coaches, they don't know, and they're the ones spooking and scaring their kids and overcoaching them. And I think the whole family needs to study the sports psychology side of wrestling because that's sort of the glue that's going to put everything together. It's not just wrestling technique. It's, it's being the total package. And like you said, mm -hmm. things do fluctuate. It never just stays still. It's like your confidence yeah. could fluctuate. And then your focus, which would be a different mental muscle, that fluctuates. Your motivation fluctuates. So yeah. it's all, you know, you're, it's, it's constantly moving. And then, like you said, of course, the technique, you can have all the confidence in the world. If you, if you don't know how to play the violin, you can't play the violin. That's yeah. it. You can be super confident. It doesn't make a difference. You got to learn the technique. And yeah, but if you're a great, yeah, but if you're a great uh, violinist and you can't get in front of stage in front of people, right. then no one's ever going to know you're a great violinist because right. you're up there stuttering around. So it's just almost like, it does. It's a it, you got to attack all of it. You know. Now we spend more time on the technique side of wrestling because it takes time, right? But you know, um, yeah, I do think that the strength and conditioning side of wrestling is is underutilized. At, at the high school and youth level. And I definitely think that the wrestling mindset and, and confidence and knowing how your thoughts and emotions work. And some dads, I say dads, cause usually it is dads. They're, they're, they're trying to coach their kid. These kids have different, they're different than you, you know, they're different than you. So um, you might have one son or daughter who you can kind of vibe with 
but your other wrestler or son or, is not broken because they're not like you or, you know? Uh, so learning that we're all a little bit different. Some people are very laid back, you know? Some people are not. Some people are very intense. That can be an issue. Kerry Colot says he needed Bruce Burnett Matt's side because Kerry was so intense. He needed a guy that was calm and chill, right? Well, some people don't like calm and chill. Some people want a coach in their ear getting them hyped up because, right? So um, I think that sometimes the parents, once you learn some of these things, now the coach, the athlete, and the parent are all operating with the same wheelhouse and nobody's sabotaging the deal. And so parents right. can study the sports psychology side of wrestling just like the kids do, and so do the coaches. Right. Creating a well-oiled machine where everyone's speaking the same language around the same page. I mean, ultimately, everyone's trying to do the same thing, the, the peak performance of the athlete for the betterment of his overall good, obviously, mm -hmm. not the expense of his mental, physical health. But yeah, if everyone's on the same page, it's going to be a much smoother ride and it's going to be a lot more fun. Yep. hundred percent. Awesome. Nick, great speaking with you. Where can we send people to get more of your information? Yeah, just go to perlerwrestling.com. We uh, we would love to have you. We have weekly academy. We have competition camps. They're once a month. We do an overnight weekly competition camp. I say competition camp. There's uh, about four hours of drill time, five and a half hours of live, because I realized, like we said, you go to Georgia Nationals and you get like eight minutes of wrestling. So we just we just finished last night. And we had 177 kids from 23 different states. So they come from everywhere just for the weekend. We have a 26,000 square foot training facility just north of St. Louis, 10 acres. We have three wrestling rooms, a big strength and conditioning room, kitchen, 214 beds. So everything's right there. Uh, we also do summer camps, our online wrestling course we've talked about. And um, uh, we also do private team camps where we we travel the nation and teach our system to uh, teams and and they can use that as a fundraiser. I've got teams making over 15 grand in a week off of our camp. So uh, their private team camps are very popular. We sold out this year though. We sold out last year too. So that's kind of the five prongs of what we do. Um, that we also just started a a uh, it's called Perler Performance. It's our strength and conditioning leg, and um, we have online courses there. And um, then we also started in jujitsu. So my son's in jujitsu. We just built a new 8,100 square foot facility for him and my daughter. So, and my daughter-in-law and son-in-law. So um, we kind of got our fingers in the combative sports a lot now. And uh, Evan Elder, the UFC guy, he's coming in tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock to train with us. So um, anyway, perlerwrestling.com, perlerperformance.com, perlercombatacademy.com. Everything is there. Awesome. Thank you very much, Nick. This was great. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.